All great literature is one of two stories. A man goes on a journey or a stranger comes to town. Leo Tolstoy. Mark Turner, a professor of cognitive science, says that narrative imaging, story, is the fundamental instrument of thought. Rational capacities depend on it. It is our chief means of looking into the future or predicting or planning and of explaining. But what makes such a highbrow, dull, <laughs> lame story as something a professor of cognitive science could come up with? We've talked at length about our favorite books, our least favorite books, picked apart classic works, and argued for the literary merits of pop fiction novels. But we haven't really explained the rules as we see them. So since we've got a little bit of extra time on our hands, thanks to the world-ending pandemic known as Corona Extra, we thought we would take a couple of episodes to define literature and literary theory and give examples of all the tropes, trends, and definitions we go over on a weekly basis. <laughs> so this week we're starting with the absolute basics. What is a story? This is the book report. Intro music. This is the book report. <laughs> Perfect. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> we should we should try to just do our own instrument music um, from now on. Isn't it? Um, does does doesn't Community do an episode where they um, acapella their intro? I think so. I know. Um, I know Futurama does every few episodes. They have like a beatboxing version of. The, oh yeah, they do. They do. It just seems like there was a Community episode, and I couldn't remember if it's the ones where they're going to regionals. Where they have that would make that sense. Happen. <laughs> where they make fun of Glee for an entire episode. Uh, it's. Uh, I need to. I can't wait for that to show up on Netflix because my wife has never seen any of it. So I think now oh, yeah, is the best it's time. Now to... finally coming to Netflix. Yeah. It, well, it was on Hulu, and we had Hulu for quite a while, uh, but I could never get her to watch it. So now that she has literally nothing better to do, I hope it comes to Netflix it's, it's, it's and time. it gets popular enough that it can actually have its movie. Six seasons made, in a movie. It made it six seasons if you count the weird Yahoo one. And a movie. It it uh, that last season yeah. was not good, though. It wasn't good, but good. we still need a movie to finish that out. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're not here today to talk about community as much as we could probably do several episodes on that as well. Comes to Netflix uh, April 1st. Go watch it. It's amazing. This episode potentially sponsored by Dan Harmon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I would love to meet Dan Harmon. He's kind of awesome. Yeah. He's like the writer of some of the, besides Michael Shore, I don't <laughs> think there's a writer producer I would rather meet. Right. And he has a whole lot to say. Have you ever, did you watch Harmon Quest? No. Okay. It's kind of awesome. It's him and celebrity friends playing D and D, but they animate everything they do. Um, okay. And in it, there's several points that like, all the characters are just there to have fun. All the actors who come in are just there to do fun things. And most of them are improv people as well. So they can do okay, a get to bit the point. The, You're starting to lose me. Okay. Um, he makes it a point every time his character does something to try to create a narrative arc, even if it's like a ridiculous impulsive nonsense, he doesn't do anything that doesn't lead to the narrative, which is amazing way of like, he just goes about life thinking that way, that everything he does works into part of the narrative, at least when he's playing this game, which Oh, I so what you're awesome. saying is everything he does has to 
make a story? Yes. I'm wow, what a great segue, Joel. I wasn't trying I'm glad to you brought it back to the episode so well. <laughs> but yeah, that, was that amazing. is what we're talk about. <laughs> yeah. Also, so, just full disclosure, normally we do these episodes in the evening, but uh, for me, it's snack time. It's the middle of the day. So if you hear yes. like a rattling, it's because I've got a box of Mike and Ike's. Oh, now I want candy. Professionalism. Pass Oof. it on. Until I got Foundation locked in for the a better house, life. I didn't think to buy any candy. Oh, well, that was your mistake. I know. So anyways, you wrote when you were creating this episode and all of that, you said that there are only seven stories. So let's talk about that. Somebody else said this. I'm going to punch you the next time you tell me that. I keep trying so hard with you, Joel, and you're making it so difficult. Look at the page that I typed this on. It says only seven stories, question mark, because I don't actually believe this You know what? You keep deflecting, and our couples counselor (laughs) says you can't keep deflecting. All right? You need to just... Answer the question it is as said it is presented to you. That there are only seven stories, and everything fits oh, into these categories. Uh, the seven stories that they say that are are the underdog or overcoming the monster. Rags. Let's to not riches. read them all out. Let's just discuss that one. So, okay. underdog. Cool. Overcoming the monster. And you said Beowulf. That was Why? the first one to come to my mind because I mean, okay. there's not much more to one of the oldest stories we have than. A monster shows up and they have to beat him. Monster shows up and kills people. They have to beat him. They track him down, kill him, and they have to kill his mom. There is no like world building besides that. There's no um, real character development for anybody. There's not a love interest. That's the extent of the story. Is Beowulf has to go kill the monster. Realizes the monster is not the ultimate monster. There's one bigger and badder than him and has to go kill that one too. And that's just the simplest and one of our oldest stories of all time. And in some places, when you look at this concept, there's only seven stories. It calls it overcoming the monster. And in some places it calls it the underdog because we don't really have overcoming the monster stories anymore. Like, can you think of a book or a TV show or movie written in the last decade that is just about killing a monster? So I was trying to, and part of the issue is that we have gravitated so far away from, um, like, I guess, plot-driven storytelling and over into the realm of character-driven storytelling that you can't really do a good, I'm going to go fight this monster story and leave it at that because you need this development, you need this growth in the character. And honestly, we've kind of moved so far away from the original intent of the overcoming the monster story that at the end of the book, you almost know that if we're fighting a monster, what's actually going to happen is we're going to find out the monster wasn't all bad or the monster is actually fighting something within itself and we have to help the monster do that. So it's just gotten a lot more complex than the, you know, those epic sagas of the Mm -hmm. ancient world. And what's fun is they've even done that with the original Beowulf story in the book Grendel. With Grendel, yeah, they did. And that was what I was thinking when I was kind of going on that diatribe. Cool. Well, I'm glad I could read your mind. <laughs> but if you look at it with the um, the other explanation for this story type, the underdog, we still have that story, and we still have that story a lot. Rudy, Rudy, exactly. Like Rudy, every sports movie, every sports story, almost every um, like musical biopic is an underdog story. That's all it is. It's well, and I think you could say that 
even Beowulf is a sports story back in an era when right. like sports were going out and hunting, you know? Yeah. And that's why so I think that realistically, like overcoming the monster is almost always going to be some type of athletic competition or sports story, or even just talking about Norse sagas in general. A lot of those are overcoming the monster without any character development whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, you, you can look at literally any sports movie that's ever been made and I can't watch them. I get so bored in most of them because it's the exact same plot every single time. And the characters don't super change. Nothing actually happens. They're not bad by any means. I just don't enjoy them. You got to watch The Rookie then. That was a great one. I've seen The Rookie. Ah, perfect movie. Mm. It's got Dennis Quaid. Could stare at him for hours. Okay, good to know. That's right. (laughs) He's just got like that rugged... (laughs) father i never had vibe going for him you have a father who's fairly yeah but if i didn't but if i didn't he would look like dennis quaid (laughs) if you didn't have a father he would look like dennis quaid you get it you understand (laughs) i'm definitely making that the title of this episode (laughs) 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 all right so the next of the seven stories (laughs) is rags to riches um, and I actually disagree with the book you put for that. So I'm going to say instead of that one, let's kind of stick with the older stories Please. that go way back. So Cinderella, I think that is an excellent okay. rags to riches story. It's much, much yeah, better. It's, and we're not even going to mention the one you put because I don't. I was searching hard for a modern version of this one too. Nah, I, I, I kind of like exists. the idea of sticking with the older versions because more people are going to know those. So rags to riches, I would agree. That's a pretty common form of storytelling. And it's really common. Um, we all know that I love fantasy. It is one of the most common tropes that comes up in a fantasy novel. You've yes. got a boy living on a farm in the middle of nowhere. Surprise, he's the king. Yeah. Every single time. <laughs> if you start Every with a time. child in a fantasy story, he's some long lost prince. He's definitely fulfilling the prophecy. Specific, yeah. He, every single time. There's never a pointless child in a fantasy story. It's very annoying. No. <laughs> but yeah it's, oh I mean, ooh, except for what's his name from um the game of thrones that the writer forgot about the little brother oh, tommen is it tommen yeah tommen yeah he didn't have a purpose <laughs> <laughs> the writer forgot about him because he had too many characters <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> always fun <laughs> poor tommen um do you like so I guess I should have asked, do you like the Overcoming the Monster story? And then do you like the Rags to Riches stories? The Overcoming the Monster story, I enjoy a good um, a good underdog story. I enjoy, but it has to be, for all of these, I feel like we're just looking at the basics of them. And mm-hmm. we're so far beyond that. I can't stand just bare bones and Overcoming the Monster story. Like I can't stand just a bare bones sports movie. There has to be something more to it or I don't care. Um, okay. So, and the rags to riches, I don't think I actually – I really get annoyed with this trope. Um, it has – especially in fantasy, especially in the way you just described it with a kid that's a secret king or prince or whatever. It mm-hmm. has the tendency to be there is no normal people and it has the tendency to um, uh, cut out you know, the – real world example of just trying really hard there's um 
there's got to be some prophecy involved or you're, you're somehow destined for this and there's no uh, personal worth. It's all outside of your control. And I don't like that idea in a story or that idea in fiction in general. It annoys me. Okay. So for me, I love overcoming the monster stories. Like you get an underdog, you get just a good, um, and I tend to lump overcoming the monster into kind of like a training montage. Like you give me a good Rocky and I'm going to just be happy as a clam. I love anytime where you get a character just being a badass. Um, and at its core, that's what stories like Beowulf are. It's showing off how incredibly talented someone is or how impressive they can be or how big of a monster they can slay. And I love that. Um, rags to riches. Sometimes it can be done well. Uh, I think like Charles Dickens did it well in great expectations, even though I didn't like the book. I think that was okay, but I agree. I think a lot of times when you've got kind of a fantasy trope, prophecy fulfilling character it falls flat so i'd probably line up with you on that gotcha well this next one is actually one of my favorite basic story plots because it it can involve so much more and it's simply the quest it's um it's the one i the example i put down is lord of the rings is the most successful one because it is there is a single goal for the entire story it's get the ring to mordor it's a quest um but there's so much more that happens because it's essentially a, uh, it's essentially like a, a travel a game, like a like a video game where there's a million other side activities that happen along the way, but there's only one goal the whole time. And I think this story. Wow, someone's been playing a lot of Assassin's Creed this week. I have been actually, <laughs> but this, <laughs> this story structure has so much room for possibility. Um, and that's why I like just if you're going to have to if you have to have a basic story version, the quest is, I think, the best place to start because it gives yourself it gives you opportunity to do all kinds of random things along the way. Yeah. And this is one of the more common ones because you can do a lot of um, like you don't have to just have it be a physical quest. It can be a emotional quest or a mental quest or a weird character arc. So. You're absolutely right by saying this one's probably one of the more broad versions of the seven stories that we're going to talk about. Um, I absolutely love Lord of the Rings. I think it's a great book. Um, Even though personally, I'm not a huge fan of the quest in terms of story types. Um, Because with one of the things that a quest falls into in every book, like you think of a book that has a quest and I can tell you why or where this happens it um, lengthens out the story and it makes it almost impossible to make a tight storyline because you have to get the characters from point A to point F somehow. And so you're either going to have them be walking a lot or in transit a lot, or you're going to have to skip a lot of the plot for some reason or another and have to invent ways to do that. Um, So it immediately, if I'm reading a quest novel, I know that there's going to be some type of just lengthening out and it's not going to be as tight of a story as it could be. I gotcha. I have hold that thought because I have a question at the end that may. Sure. Yeah. Just hold that thought that you don't like. All um, right. Let's move to the next one. Okay. The next one is um, voyage and return. And I don't like the one that you used as an example for this. Why? For the record. I have a better one. Okay. I have a better well, one. The one I put it as a record 
the book inside of the book is literally called There and Back Again. I use The Hobbit mm-hmm. for this example because Oh, I'm aware. Yeah. I don't like that you did it cuz we just talked about Lord of the Rings and it's accessible. I think you can go back <laughs> further. The Odyssey. There you go. The Odyssey is the classic example of this. Yeah. Obviously. So the perfect example of a voyage and return. That's the entire driving factor of the plot. I would argue that in The Hobbit that's not really the driving factor. Like it's what happens, but it's not, I don't know. Well, I would he's, he's also kind of on a quest whereas in The Odyssey the entire driving factor is trying to return to his wife. Which is the quest because in the Odyssey it is. you can And very the quest argue, and voyage and return are yeah. like intermingled cuz a voyage is kind of a journey and a quest. And this is, a is my this is my problem with the whole concept of there only being seven stories is we're all, we're only four in and they're already blurring together too much to really distinguish them because sure. I don't believe there are only seven stories. But in the Odyssey, he starts at Troy. He doesn't actually start from home. That happened a different book. So it's by itself can't be a full voyage in return. Um, no, but that's like not good historiography either because the Iliad and the Odyssey are technically one story right. and we just split them up because we're modern and we like to do that, which is why we have a bunch of trilogies. Even though Lord of the Rings is a single book, that's split into three books. Gotcha. Well, same I don't thing. think you need any more explanation for Voyage and Return. It's all there in the narrative. You leave and you come back and things happen along the way. <laughs> Basically, it's going to work every morning and coming home every evening. Yes, but interesting Ooh. things happen, hopefully, if you're writing a story about it. <laughs> Joel, maybe you just need a different job if that's how you feel about work. Do we need to have a <laughs> sit-down conversation? I have Possibly. a cup of coffee. I'm ready to go. Well, I apparently need some more coffee because you are much more energetic than I am at 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. It's because I haven't had to deal with kids all week or last week or the week before when I was in Disney. It's been a great (laughs) coronavirus. (laughs) It's been a great coronavirus. That might be – nope. I still like – No, you can't do that too soon. (laughs) I still like – Too many people If I didn't have a father, it would be Dennis Quaid. (laughs) Right. I like that. That really gets the vibe of it. <laughs> yeah, that tells what this episode is about, obviously, like so easily. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so the next one, and this, and this one was also really hard to find a good example of, but it's Rebirth. Um, and short of going through a story like Metamorphosis or um, uh, Portrait of a Woman on Fire, like you can't really find a good rebirth story that's not a self-awakening story. So I used A Christmas Carol as an example, as um, he's not he's not on a quest, he's not on a voyage, he's already rich, and there's nobody to overcome except for himself. Uh, he just becomes a better person as this stuff is thrown at him. And a different person. I guess a rebirth doesn't necessarily have to make you a better person, but... Uh, you are a different no, person but, at the end of the story. Well, so it doesn't necessarily have to make you a better person, but I would say that it generally is going to because out of all of these seven story types, Rebirth is absolutely the one with the most religious undertones. Um, right. And it's the one that shows up the most in different religions because you've got kind of that moment of awakening or you have um, some type of a vision or an angel visits you or you know, a literal rebirth or resurrection in the case of Christianity. You've got um, Muhammad going into a cave and coming out with 
all of his revelations. So I think that rebirth is the most religious of all these storylines. So I think that in a lot of ways you do have to become better if it's a true rebirth story. Well, I think it'd be a really interesting subversion of that idea of a villain origin story that is a rebirth story. And I think we have a few, or we're going to have one of those really soon. Um, have you seen the trailer for the Venom, Spider-Man, whatever, Morbius movie? No, you're more into all of that than I am. Okay. Well, it looks as if they're doing a, the first time they're doing a comic book origin movie for a villain character. As he starts off okay. as a scientist trying to cure a disease and by the end of it fully embraces his evil I've made myself a monster. Um, Do you not think that they did that with Joker recently? No, because he was oh, he didn't I don't think he ever there wasn't a moment of change. I think it was just a slow slide in that movie. Did you watch that movie? Not yet. Okay. And that's why I'm asking you. It doesn't feel... uh, honestly, as soon as Marvel wrapped up their storyline, I was like, all right, and I'm done with superheroes. <laughs> the the Joker movie doesn't feel like a rebirth story because he never he isn't one thing and becomes something else. It's just a slow slide into the horribleness that is his character. And it starts out fairly bad and just gets worse. A rebirth story. And so that's usually... kind of what I'm saying. Go ahead. A rebirth, rebirth story builds to a moment where the character fundamentally changes. That's the idea behind a rebirth story. I don't think in right. Joker, he never fundamentally changes. He just gets worse. Well, and I think for me, I think it would be hard to make, like you were saying, they're making a, a villain rebirth story. I think if it is a, you know, a long form anything, it's really hard for it to be a true rebirth because you're absolutely right. It has to be almost this point in time that you can look at and say this is exactly when that person changed or became something new or you know phoenix rebirth so i don't know how you can tell that in an origin story type of way um because it's it's too quick it's too short of a happening i gotcha it's a burning bush moment we'll see if it gets pulled off i believe from the trailers it looks like that's what they're going for and i'm Really interested in a villain origin story. I think that's not something that's been done before outside of like actual comic books and cartoons. I think there's a, there's a, um, the Smallville TV show. Uh, they do a rebirth story for Lex Luthor throughout the whole show. And the moment he snaps in, uh, I can't remember what season finale it is, but it's a this season is getting finale. too long, already. I know. There's a season finale when up until this point he has been trying to be a good person even though everything in his life is trying to make him a bad person. And there's a moment of where he snaps and yeah. leans into it. And that's a rebirth but to the dark side. And I loved that concept and I want to see that done in a movie or a book again. So I'm going to have to look out for those. Okay. I like that I right. did not think about that until this moment. <laughs> next up is comedy. Well, I think we should combine the next two because the next two are obviously comedy and nope. tragedy. Next one is comedy. Okay. But what else do you say nope. about comedy? We're talking about seven. If you combine this into six at this far at this point, I'm going to literally defy my city stay at home ban and I'm going to come kill you. Please do this. Um, not kill me, but come over here because I'm bored. Uh, and that's kind of my right, whole so, point. Comedy is uh, yeah. by itself. Nope. 
All right. So this is the only one where I'm not going to argue with which book you picked for it because I can't think of any thing and I'm probably just an idiot or not thinking hard enough, but I like that you picked Discworld, even yeah. though it is really modern. And um, there's infinite number of books in it. <laughs> well, I mean, Discworld is a series. It's like a setting, but yeah. yeah. So I think, I think the Discworld novels, if you want to get pedantic is a good choice for that because even part of the issue is that even books that were written as comedy in the time when they were written, if they're old enough, the comedy doesn't translate. Um, right. Comedy is one of those things that is really hard to transcend cultures or time mm -hmm. because what is funny is not constant at all. Interestingly enough. Um, actually, I guess uh, the um, Canterbury tales would be considered a comedy, but most people reading them today don't think that they're necessarily funny. Or get and it. I think that drives on my point, even though a lot of them were meant to be. Yeah. Same with my favorite Shakespeare play, much ado about nothing. It's hilarious if you understand it. If not, you just it's a weird nonsense is going on. Exactly. Because a lot of comedy is built on subverting cultural norms. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have those cultural norms, you know, it's not funny. Like Chaucer talks a lot about people farting in each other's faces. And that's not really like funny. That's just gross. But apparently in don't the Middle that Ages, that was how you split a rib. Movie. It was the funniest thing you could, could imagine. And I mean... That's I mean, fart humor, poop humor is still apparently comedic to children and people who watch DreamWorks movies. Like that's the and a lot of Disney movies nowadays. That's I don't know lowest form. But of that's humor. more because to little kids, like bodily yeah. functions are entertaining or taboo still to them. But that's the idea. It's why saying penis is hilarious to a group of middle schoolers. So funny. It's taboo, so they're like, ah, he said penis. There's a, uh, but a story being entirely focused on comedy is rare these days. <laughs> like I can't think of any book I've picked up. Um, movies they do this a lot, but even the movies, there's even in hilarious comedic movies. There's usually a point to be made. They're not just absurdist nonsense. Yeah, it's because otherwise they're they're too one dimensional. They get yeah. kind of boring, and mm -hmm. you can only laugh for so long before you just are over it. So now you can transition into what you wanted to lump with comedy. Well, tragedy. Supposedly the opposite side of the coin from comedy. Um, but in effect, in modern days, they're often one and the same. Or there's a blend between the two of them. I mean, I'm just thinking of Jojo Rabbit, a hilarious movie that is one of the most tragic films I've ever seen. Um, that this is a... That there's not a sad movie without an attempt to put a joke into it there's not a sad book without comedic or at least action-packed scenes um you can't do them alone a tragedy the traditional definition of a tragedy is that a character makes bad choices and horrible things happen to them because of them we don't have no that's not like that that's anymore. not the true one the like original version of comedy and tragedy comedy was it ends with a happy ending and then a tragedy was it ends with a sad ending true i mean i guess that's the, the basic basic version of it yeah like if you go all the way back that's yeah. the difference between comedy and tragedy like if you're talking greek theater right right which um i put down gone with the wind and book thief as books i've read that are for mostly tragedy a tragic story okay 
Um, could you think of anything? There was, there was a really, really good short story I read when I was uh, in high school. My English teacher had us read it and I don't remember the name of it. Um, and you may have read it. So if you have, that'd be great. Cause I'd love to read it again, but it was a Russian novel and it was a science fiction or it was a science fiction short story. And basically this guy is going um, to another planet. I think he might just be going to the moon or something to uh, deliver supplies, but he only has enough fuel to make it to the moon. Yes. And the and fuel is calculated specifically for his weight and the weight of the cargo. And then he finds out that a girl has stowed away on the ship. And so the entire not or the entire short story is him deciding do I kick myself out of the airlock or do I kick her out of the airlock? And you keep waiting for him to come up with some clever way to get out of this sticky situation. But the end of the story is he kicks her out of the airlock and he sees her body floating in front of his like windscreen. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just called the stowaway, but I can't find that by just, um, yeah, I I don't in. I've never been able to remember the name of it, but that to me is what immediately comes up when I think tragedy. Yeah, that's um, a good it's a good version. Yeah, but Gone with the Wind is a good pick too, I think, because you have you know this really happy scene, you have this really happy life, and then it just goes to hell. Like her life gets upended, everything about her culture is destroyed, her daughter dies. The man she fell in love with leaves her. It's mm -hmm. a mess. Yeah. A civil war happens. <laughs> it's all bad. Sure. That'll generally ruin your day. <laughs> well, here's the, the question I wanted to ask. Um, because I think I've said it very plainly. I don't buy into this idea that there's only seven types of stories. Do you agree with this in any f format? No, because I think any good story has elements of all of these baked into it. Um, if anything, I kind of like the quote at the beginning of this where it's just two stories. Someone goes on a journey or someone comes to town. Because the simpler you make the definition of a story, the more room you have to work with. When you try and pigeonhole them into seven distinct arcs, that's when you get some pretty one-dimensional stories that can be right. kind of boring to read. Well, see, that's the that's the thing is I don't agree that there are that it, with these types, but the next thing on the list, the arcs, as you just said, I do kind of agree with this. I think there are only a few. Um, the, the common definition is there are only six arcs, six different versions okay. of events in a story. Um, and this one I can buy into a little bit more because um, everyone remembers hopefully their middle school English story plot diagram where you have it looks like a badly drawn mountain have your flat part that's your exposition then you have rising action that rises to a climax falling action and then another flat part that is the resolution it's the very basic format of a story but how you plot that when you're telling your story can change seemingly in an infinite number of ways but in practice it falls into only six arcs and i actually kind of buy into this one Instead okay. Of going uh, because there's, I mean, there's only a few combinations that work narratively, and they are, and they have names, but they're really about the way you put those elements, what order you put those elements in. So another one, the first one's called Rags to Riches, which is a steady rise from bad to good fortune. So it's all increasing action until you get to the climax where everything is great. 
And then the opposite of that, the um, ridges to rags, it's a steady rising action or steady falling action until everything gets to bad, um, which would be classified as a tragedy in the other one, but is easier to see when it's plotted out. Then you have the more basic, Icarus, arise and then fall in fortune. Your characters, good things happen to them and then bad things happen to them. Um, and the rest of these use just actual stories. So Oedipus, a fall, bad things happen, good things start to happen, and then you fall again at the end. Cinderella story, which is a rise at the beginning, and this is how most stories nowadays work, the basic three-act structure. Good things seem to be happening, bad things happen, but by the end it's good again. And then your man in a hole, bad things happen, but by the end you get out. And that, that I can, I agree with. I think every story you can fit, or at least every character's journey, you can fit somewhere into these six better than you can fit it into somewhere of those seven plots we just went over. I'd probably, I, I need to think about this a little bit um, because kind of what I was saying earlier, I think it's, it's tricky to pigeonhole everything into these super specific um these super specific groups, because I think there is an interplay between them in a lot of stories, because even with the rags to riches story, it's, it's not always going to be like this steady rise as you just get a better and better and better life. A lot of times there will be adversity that seems like a falling action and then you go up again and then you come back down. So I get what is being said in these, but I, I still think they're kind of trying to be, they're, they're pigeonholing a little much for me. Okay. But I probably would, I, I would say that the six arcs, the six story arcs are a better explanation than the seven story types. Yeah. Like He's, I like them better. They give a little more leeway. Yeah. They're, they're more. And the good thing about the arcs is that different characters can have uh, opposite or different or similar arcs in the same story. And the overall narrative can have a different arc than each one of the characters inside of it. It's much more customizable, and you can better classify things within these arcs than you can within those stories. Because I have this well, definition up here. I have Ender's Game as you can argue that it's a quest story, but it's got a lot of rags riches elements. It's definitely got the underdog overcoming the monster concept. He's reborn, fundamentally changed by the end. Um... He doesn't actually go home at the end, but it does have that travel and return uh, feel to it the whole time. And you can very easily argue the entire story is tragic. Uh, but if you go down to the end, you can if we go down to the six arcs, you can say it is a um, it's an Oedipus style story. It's bad thing to his point of view. Bad things happen to him. Then he becomes the best possible soldier of all time. He rises to incredible heights. And then by the end, when he understands everything that has happened and the reality, and then he of the accidentally trips headfirst into an incest porn video. Cool. Okay. No, <laughs> that's literally Oedipus. That's yes, the whole story. But we're talking about the, not the actual events of the Oedipus story, but the structure of the story. Mm, I don't think you can ever talk about just the story arc without talking about the story. When we're talking Oedipus, that, okay. that one has a special place. That's fair, but still. Like, whew, the Greeks were freaky. They um, were very weird people. Well, so it, this goes back to what I was saying with the seven stories, 
the seven story types. I like the idea that there are less than seven because then you can apply those more broadly. Same with the six arcs. I almost would just go back to the first definition of a um, like character that you learned, which is your character is either dynamic or static. Because right. um, I think you can just apply that a little better to any situation. Does your character change? Cool. Are they boring and don't do anything? Great. But I do like these six arcs as they apply them differently and across different timelines and points of view and all that. So no, I, I, these are growing on me. Okay. Well, that kind of brings us to next week um, we have slotted to talk about characters in general and how... Okay, so we have our six arcs, we have our seven stories, and at the end of the day, a story is just a hero's journey, right? That's the simplest format. Um, if you don't know, if you didn't go to middle school English class, the hero's journey uh, was a is a concept invented by Joseph Campbell back in like 1950, um, and its basic structure is easily thought of if you just think of all the plot points of the hobbit and not the movies ignore the movies they're terrible <laughs> ignore the movies they were garbage <laughs> there's no love scene between orlando bloom and what's her name because evangeline Lilly. isn't even in it um at all yeah never shows up so the hero's journey is it begins with a call to adventure an inciting incident for the hobbit it's when the dwarves and gandalf shows up and say hey come with us we're gonna go rob a dragon um <laughs> And then the story crosses from the known into the unknown. The Hobbit leaves the Shire and goes off into the greater world. He faces challenges along the way from fighting spiders and escaping elves and having a weird roller coaster adventure in barrels. Um, Again, not in the books. <laughs> there is a revelation uh, of new information and a bigger world when he finds the One Ring and when he meets Smaug and when he... Um, the battle of the five armies begins and the characters are fundamentally transformed and then have to go home. In the Hobbit case, it literally goes back to the Shire with the one ring, knowing all of this stuff and having led a life of adventure. Uh, but it doesn't have to be an actual physical return home. It's just a suddenly all the unknowns that you've been facing this whole time are now known. And, and I think the reason why you can say that the hero's journey is the all-encompassing, uh, Joseph Campbell calls it a metonym, but he takes that from James Joyce and all of that. But why it's kind of the metonym for what a story is, is because if you look at a true hero's journey, so you can talk about The Hobbit, you can talk about Lord of the Rings, you can talk about Star um, Wars, The Wheel of Time, Wheel of Time yeah. Star Wars, you have all of the seven story elements. You have the overcoming the monster issue. So let's talk Star Wars. You have to go kill Darth Vader. You have a rags to riches you have luke skywalker living on a farm in bumble f nowhere and then he becomes the savior of the galaxy you have a quest he again he's going from tatooine everywhere death. voyage and return eventually the story kind of brings everyone back to tatooine or at least to a sense of normalcy you have rebirth you have a little bit of comedy if you're talking the movies you've got some lightheartedness and then you also have tra tragedy tragedy um, especially in the first Star Wars one where Ben Kenobi just, poof, and he's a space ghost. Mm -hmm. So you have all of those elements in the hero's journey. And if you want to talk arcs, you can see a lot of those different six story arcs within the different characters who populate the hero's journey. Yeah. Which coincidentally, one... Joel. I'm sorry. 
Oh, I was just going to let you lead into the fact that that's what we'll be talking about next. The hero's journey applying to all stories as a basic definition of what a story is, because without all these elements, you don't have a story, you have a scene. But you also can't have a story with just story elements. You have to have characters. So next week, we're going to start talk telling you about archetypes and what it takes to make a character and not just a caricature um, and some of our favorite characters, maybe heroes, villains. I don't know. We'll see where we go with it. But join us next week as we continue talking literary theory. Uh, and if this was right. too heavy for you, we at least threw in a whole bunch of recommendations for movies and books and TV you could consume while you're all stuck at home. <laughs> or you can consider this a masterclass in creative writing, and you don't even need to go to college for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, we will. You're welcome. We will make you a fake diploma that says you have a. We just writing saved degree. you. I don't know if you all know this, but <laughs> we just saved you twenty five thousand dollars. So you should send some of that our way. We'll mm -hmm. cut you a deal, like three grand for the whole class. I think that's fair. Yeah, you just. This was literally a semester of college, just crammed into like an hour of your listening while you had nothing better to do. And we're not making you do any assignments. So if no, anything, no this homework. is better. <laughs> All right. Well, as we finish defrauding the public school system, <laughs> bye, everyone. Well, do you have any news or updates? I know I sent you the – I know we talked about – I said goodbye. I'm done okay, now. But I want to just talk about something else before we just wrap up. You're on your um, own, buddy. I sent you a link to what we tweeted out, which was the book trailer for Peace Talks, The Dresden Files. All right. I don't know why they made a actual trailer they apparently with actual the actors. Because after okay. I sent that one out, same like, issue. I don't know why they did that. It's a book. People are doing book trailers a lot more now. I don't get it. No, it's stupid. Like, one of the best things about reading a book is in my head, I know what the characters are. And the second you try and tell me what they are, I'm angry. That's very true because that was one thing I was annoyed by this. But I like, like the getting... book trailers made Mab into a white skinned like ugh. no, she's just supposed to be super hot. Yeah, very strange. I do. I like that they didn't give him a Stetson cowboy hat thing because for some reason it makes it a point that he in all the books it makes it a point that he looks like a cowboy but doesn't wear the hat. And on all the book covers, he's wearing a cowboy hat. And I've never understood that. It's infuriating yeah. to me. Just bizarre. <laughs> all right. That was all I had. I don't have any more news. <laughs> all right. The end. That was great. Good talk, Bye everyone. now. I'm keeping that part in somehow. I'm going to murder you. Oh, wait. No, we need axe. to do follow us on Just Twitter, like Facebook, Instagram, all that jazz. No. Sorry. You ruined it. This is your fault now. Yeah. We don't have that this time. If you can't find us on social media, I'm sorry. Steven says no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Bye.